Well, welcome and good morning to all once again. Uh, if you would turn with me your Bibles to Genesis chapter 1. That's the first chapter of Genesis. And this morning we'll begin by reading down to the third verse of chapter 2. So that's Genesis chapter 1, and we'll begin our reading there at verse 1. Hear now the word of our God. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and the darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. And God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And the evening and the morning were the first day. And God said, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament. And it was so. And God called the firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. And God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear. And it was so. And God called the dry land earth, and the gathering together of the waters called he seas. And God saw that it was good. And God said, let the earth bring forth grass the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the earth brought forth grass, and herb yielding seed after his kind, and the tree yielding fruit, whose seed was in itself after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the third day. And God said, Let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night, and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and for years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set the firmament in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night. And to divide the light from the darkness, and God saw that it was good. And the evening and the morning were the fourth day. And God said, Let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life, and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, which the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters and the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. And the evening and the morning were the fifth day. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, the cattle and creeping thing, and beast of the earth after his kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind, and God saw that it was good. And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. 
And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created he him. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed, which is upon the face of all the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of a tree yielding seed. To you it shall be meat. And to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to everything that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life, I have given every green herb for meat. And it was so. And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. Amen. May the Lord bless us as we look at his word together this morning. Well, friends, we begin actually dealing with the text before us. Uh, I'll just make a comment about the way that we'll go about this. Um, all of the preliminary remarks that we made last Lord's Day morning, of course, still stand. But, but you'll notice that as we go through this first chapter, we'll be reading it twice. Uh, we read it once already, but as we work our way through the text, my purpose really is to make something of a running commentary on each section of the text that we come across. And so uh, keep your Bibles open for sure. Uh, we'll be looking at Genesis 1 um, really through the duration of our time this morning. But I also want to make a comment a little bit about the structure. And I mentioned this to you before uh, last Thursday morning. But as we're looking at this text, we're taking not just the chapter divisions that come to us in our English Bibles. We're looking at this text as the text itself divides itself. As we said before, our chapter divisions come from um, the 12th century through um, Archbishop uh, Stephen Langton. Um, He's the one who's divided our English Bible into chapters and verses for us. And often he's quite helpful. The reference systems are quite useful. Um, But occasionally, uh, Langton's divisions are sometimes different from our own, or different from how the text itself is divided. Genesis 1 is one of those cases. So if you're looking at the Hebrew Bible of Genesis 1, the first chapter marker actually comes at the beginning of chapter 2 and the fourth verse. So our chapter 2, the fourth verse, according to the Hebrew Bible, is actually the beginning of the second chapter. So all that we read is, according to the Hebrew text, One chapter. So chapter 1, verse 1, to chapter 2, verse 3, is how the text divides itself. And we understand that, right? As we're looking at this text, obviously we're coming across the creation week. Um, All seven days, according to the Hebrew Bible, are included in this one literary unit. Now, as we're looking at this text, I want you to notice that there is, of course, that basic division, right? We are looking at a creation week. And so the text easily divides into the days of that week. And so you can see clearly seven basic divisions. There's another way to divide it, too. I won't spend too much time here, but as we look at this text, you could see that this is two sets of three with an additional 
section. So you have really three sections. You have the first days, one through three, their own section, versus uh, days four to six, a second section, and then the seventh day is a third section all to itself. We'll come back to that really toward the end of our time and see why perhaps that's useful for us. But as we begin our text this morning, I want you to notice that we're going to come across a pattern. And the pattern is useful here because it's only a pattern that inheres for the first three days of creation. It is very simply, God said, God saw, God separated, and God called. That's a pattern that runs through all three of the first days of creation. Okay? And we'll see why that's significant as we move through the text. So we'll turn your attention back to our first five verses here, the first day of creation. And allow me to read them to you once more. In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And we'll stop there for a moment. As we look through the days of creation, we're immediately confronted with the fact that for most of the days of creation, there's not one single act. Most of the days of creation are comprised of two, and actually more of them are even comprised of three single acts. The only day that has one act, one creative act given to it, is day four. So in day one, we're confronted with three creative acts. And I want you to notice the first one. First of all, we're told, in the beginning, God. In the Hebrew, the word is barashit, or just simply, beginning. Uh, so we could translate it. And commentators then spend time asking, well, in the beginning of what? In the beginning of time, in the beginning of creation, is it simply the marking of the narrative that's to follow, or are we talking about the creation of what we call this thing time? Uh, In one sense, it doesn't matter. Of course, in the creation of something, time is obviously coeval. It's created with that thing. Uh, Everything has a beginning but God. Um, But the question is, which is the text emphasizing? Is the text emphasizing the beginning of time as we understand it, Or is the text really preparing us for what's to come? I'm making that comment because as you go through the commentaries on Genesis, you'll find that our own men, men whom we trust, debate this at some considerable length and come to various conclusions. But I just said that before you hear. What we have is the beginning. But what's striking about this text is immediately we're confronted with the the work of God. God created. Now, what's striking about this, friend, I want you to notice is it's not the word formed. The writer here, under inspiration of God's Spirit, tells us that God created. This verb in the Old Testament, this verb in Hebrew, is only made, um, it's only made ascribable to God. God alone is the subject of this verb. And why is that? You could define it this way. Um, This word created is to expend no energy, to make something without any effort, without any work involved. Now, I want you to think about that just for a moment. Moses begins here in Genesis 1, verse 1, to tell us that God did something. But, friend, I want you to notice how he safeguards the omnipotence of our God. He created these things without any effort, without any real exertion, without any real work. Our God is infinitely potent, powerful beyond our comprehension. And even the creation of all things, as the word really means, is in that he expended no energy. That's how our text begins. We're immediately confronted with an omnipotent God. 
We're told here that he created the heavens and the earth. Uh, we could see the words heaven here, uh, which is Hashemayim in the Hebrew, to refer to all three heavens, the atmospheric, the celestial, the paradisical, or we could refer to it purely in one of those cases. All of those three heavens are, of course, created, created things by God. Um, so in one sense, it doesn't matter. Uh, they all had a beginning, and perhaps this is the verse that tells us all of their beginnings at once. But it also tells us about the earth. And this is where we need to be, be very, very careful in our reading. In the second verse, we're told that the earth was without form and void. Tohu vavohu. That's the word in the Hebrew. That's a two-word, but it's a clause that really means chaos. That's how the Lord describes the creation of earth. It created, but a formless, chaotic mass. Now, as we go through this text, this is important for us to understand, but allow me just to reiterate this aspect of chaos for a moment. The scriptures open up with this idea that our omnipotent God created all things by the word of his power, and he creates an earth, chaotic, and so I want you to note here, uninhabitable. At this stage, the earth as it's described for us in the second verse is uninhabitable. No living creature in the skies and the seas or on the land could survive. We'll come back to that in just a moment. But we come to our second creative activity then. In the second verse, you have here, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. That word moved upon the face of the waters is actually a word that describes for us a kind of brooding elsewhere. So in Deuteronomy 32, this is the word that's used to describe an eagle standing over nourishing her young. This is how the Lord describes the work of the Spirit in creation. He broods over what he's created. And then we're told the third activity is, God said, let there be light. This light, we understand, is without instrument. It's simply light itself. And then we're told here that he, he divines it, uh, day and night. By the end of verse 5, at the end of that third activity of the first day, we're told, and the evening and the morning were the first day. Now, friend, you obviously know that this is going to be something we run across through all of these days, but allow me to just make the comment now. How is it possible that without a sun, we could talk about a morning and an evening? Well, as we look at this text, it's important for us to understand that this description of morning and evening is carried through the entire of the first chapter. Which means that we should understand that even after the creation of the sun and the moon, the, the things that we use to tell our morning and evening, we should expect that the same element of time is in view in the first verse, even first day, even if the sun isn't there. And so we're talking about literal 24-hour days. We're talking about a morning and an evening. But with or without the sun, there is a morning and an evening, says God. That brings us to the second day. Now, oh, I should say this too. Why is it the evening and the morning? Uh, you'll note that that's a bit strange for us in the Western Hemisphere. Why do we do that? Well, we do that because that's how the Jewish day is really organized. The next day begins in the evening and, the, and concludes in the morning of the following day. And so that's why we have this running right through the first chapter. The second day, there are two acts. God says, let there be a firmament, he says here, in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. The first, first of all, we understand here that firmament is an air mass. Um, something of a space between these two waters. And so we're thinking here about really the air that obtains between the atmospheric heaven is what's in view here 
in the 8th verse. It's the heaven that divides the waters above and the waters below. And that's the second activity then. It's that dividing of the waters between the, between this firmament. The third day, God said, let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place. And let the dry land appear. And it was so. The first activity then is to gather all of the waters in one place that the dry land may appear. That word dry land, I want you to understand here, is what's defined for us in the 10th verse, earth. Now, I'll make this comment here because it's something we'll have to revisit in just a minute's time. But this word, and the word throughout, is going to be in the Hebrew, eretz. Eretz. That's going to change when we get to the end of the first chapter, and that change is going to be significant. But know just for these first several verses in the third day, the word here is Eretz, earth. Okay? Now, day four, well, day three, you have the second act, and that is the bringing forth of grass and all of the herbs that the Lord will create. The fourth day, you have one simple act. And that is, let there be lights in the firmament of the heaven to divide the day from the night. And let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years. And let them be for lights in the firmament of heaven to give light upon the earth. And then, and it was so. Now, we'll come back to those last few verses of the fourth day for a moment. But of course what the Lord is saying here is that this light that he's created on the first day will now come through instruments upon the earth. The instruments, of course, being the sun and the moon and the stars. He creates, first of all, and then he gives us the instrument through which it would come to the earth normally. Day 5, starting at verse 20. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that hath life and the fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And so the waters bring forth fish and fowl. What's striking is, that's not all that we're told here. I want you to look down here at verse 22. And God blessed them. This is the first time that we encounter the blessing of God. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the waters in the seas, and let fowl multiply in the earth. I'm making a note of that now, but we'll come back to it at the very end to see why perhaps that's significant. And then finally, day six, we have, of course, the creation of beasts and of men. God said, let the earth, that is Eretz, bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing, and the beast of the earth after his kind, and it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And so we have here the creation of those animals that would dwell on the land. That's the first activity. The second activity, of course, is what you have here beginning in verse 26. And God said, let us make man in our image. Obviously, folks, we're coming across the plurality here of language for the first time. Let us, he says, make man in our own image. The question is, in what sense are we supposed to understand that plurality? Is this, to use the fancy Latin term, pluralis maestatis? Is this the plural of majesty, the the royal we, so to speak. Or is this really a, what you could call a pluralis personis, the, the plural person? Is he looking at more persons than one when he's speaking? Friend, I want you to notice, first of all, 
when you come to the second verse of chapter 1, we've already been introduced to the Spirit of God. Already introduced to the Spirit of God. And so when we come to verse 26, it's perfectly fitting for us to understand that the writer in Genesis is thinking of a God who is one in essence, but three in person. I also want you to note, friend, as some commentators strangely suggest, he can't be here referring to the angelic host. The angels are not creators. In fact, the angels aren't even mentioned in the first chapter, though obviously they were created at some stage. All that we're told here is that the one who is created is here referring to himself in the plural. Uh, So I believe it's perfectly right for us to understand here, as we have throughout the history of the church, a reference of sorts to the doctrine of the Trinity. No, it's not the fullest doctrine, and we can't mine all of these things from it. Um, But certainly we should not be ashamed to look at this text to show us that our God is one God in three persons. But finally, I want you to notice here, friend, as we look at this sixth day, that we, we are told here that man will be made in God's image. God created man in his own image, in the image of God created he him. While it's tempting here for us to go into some considerably detail about what it means to be created imago die, uh, created in the image of God, um, I just want to note here that what we're speaking of in this text is, of course, not um, an anthropomorphite view of God. Uh, God does not have fingers, hands, legs, arms, faces, that kind of thing. Of course, we're speaking here about man as he is considered a reasonable soul. Uh, we'll, at other places of scripture, we'll have time to understand more what it means to be created in the image of God. But I'll just make that note as we have it in our text before us. But then finally, friend, I want you to notice that part of his being created in the image of God is that he will have dominion. He will have dominion. The blessing in verse 28 is, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all creation. That is man. Created to replenish the earth, to multiply, to subdue it, to exercise dominion over it. What's striking in this text then is man is presented here as God's vicegerent. He stands here as one who is ruling over all things that have been created. For God's sake. That's how man is defined in the first chapter of the scriptures. A man who is to rule over all things for God, for God's glory and obedience to God. That word to subdue is to bring in subjection. It's the idea of uh, Jeremiah 34. And he talks about those who, exer- who exercised tyranny over God's people. Those people were brought under subjection. It's the same word that you have here in the 28th verse. But what I want you to notice here, friend, is that blessing again. This is the second now that we've come across in chapter 1. The second blessing that we come, in this, come to in the scriptures. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Kelvin has a comment here that I think is powerful. Kelvin writes this. He says, This blessing of God may be regarded as the source from which the human race has flowed. In other words, friend, this is a blessing, not merely a command. This is a real blessing in which God is communicating good to a creature. And so whenever God says he's blessing them so that they would replenish the earth, Calvin tells us very pointedly that it's that blessing from which all of humanity is derived. In that sense, friend, you and I 
are God's continued faithfulness in that regard. He continues that blessing, even just by physical procreation. The seventh day, of course, we come to the Sabbath day. The first activity that you have here is rest. God ceases to work. I'm looking here at verses 1 to 3 of chapter 2. And this, of course, marks the end of the creation week. Uh, The first verse is, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the hosts of them. The week has ended. But I want you to notice the second uh, second aspect of the day. He says here in the third verse, And God blessed the seventh day. Now we come across the third blessing of God. That's the second activity. He blessed it, sanctified it, that is, set it apart. Um, with his, not only with his resting himself, but with his positive command and actual blessing. Now, friend, I've just walked through the text, um, making comments here and there is, hopefully it would be helpful for us as we think through each verse. But I want us now, as we close, just for a minute or two, to think more broadly about what we've just seen. What really is set before us in this text? I want you to notice, on the most basic level, As you look at the first three days of creation, there's a pattern. God forms all of these things. He forms the heavens and the earth, forms the light. He creates, of course, the firmament. He creates the land. But then as you come to verses, oh, sorry, uh, days four, five, and six, he begins to fill that which he has formed. Note this. The light is filled, if you will, with the sun and with the moon. Then as you come to the seas, they are filled with fish. As you come to the firmament, filled with air. Uh, the, filled with birds, rather. And then the sixth day, filled with beasts and land, uh, um, beasts and men. You see, there's a forming and a filling pattern. He forms these things first, and then he fills them with other creatures. One through three, God creates. Uh, four through six, God fills that which He's created. But you also can't help miss as well that in this text, you not only have forming and filling, you have making and ruling. I want you to look back with me just for a moment here. Uh, looking at verse 14, you have the beginning of the fourth day. Now, the Lord has told us here that He's creating these lights will be instruments for the good of the earth. But note as you come to down to verse 18, these things rule over the day and over the night. The sun and the moon rule over the day and over the night. It's a striking thing. Then just flip over the page or drop down a few verses to what the Lord says in verse 21. And God created great whales and every living creature that moveth, and the waters brought forth abundantly after their kind, and every winged fowl after his kind. What's striking is, in verse 21, you have great whales mentioned. Now, great there, you ought ought to understand, is not just large. The idea there is great, that is, in a sense, almost powerful. What you have, then, in this text is the idea that these are going to be the custodians of the sea, so to speak. Just like the sun and the moon are custodians of the celestial sphere. But then you come to day six. Who rules over land and over sea? It's man. God creates in verses uh, verses 1 down to the end of the third day, verse 13. And then he creates rulers as sorts. Verses 13 and following. But the pinnacle over all of these is man. 
man who rules over both that on sea and that on land. Now as we look at this text, friend, there's a very basic thought, and we close with this. What is the teleology, the purpose of these seven days, six days, first of all? If you look at the first day, you have a land that is uninhabitable. It simply cannot hold life as we know it. If you look at the second day, you have the same problem. Look at the third day. Even beasts on land and beasts on the sea can't live. But the fourth day? Well, the fourth day you could live. Now you have the sun and you have the herbs. And so, of course, now fish could live on the fifth day. Now air can be filled with foul. Why does he not stop there? Then you come to the sixth day, and then you have beasts of the land. And again, the earth is quite fitted now for their existence. But once more, the Lord doesn't stop there. He leads us to man. Folks, everything in Genesis 1 points to man as the pinnacle of creation. Everything here points to him. The Lord could have stopped, of course, at any point. Once the fowl were created, if it was simply the end in itself, the fowl would certainly have a fine environment to thrive. But no, the Lord must come, must come to man. Why is that striking? What you have here, friend, is not just a text that teaches us cosmology. It's not just a text that teaches us about the beginning of all things. It's a text that shows us who we are as creatures of God. And also shows us the goodness of God to us. I don't think we often think about Genesis 1 in this way. But you see, friend, everything here has conspired for man's well-being. You see that? Everything here. God did not create man one second before he would fulfill all of, man's, all of man's needs. Do you see that? He didn't create man before he had created the land. He didn't create man before he had created the beast or the earth. He created man only after everything was prepared for him. Friend, when we walk on this earth, it is a still, it is still a token of the Lord's continued goodness to men. It still shows, as the Apostle says in Acts 14, the goodness of God. Everything was created that was necessary for us. In God's wisdom and also in God's goodness, he put man in a place that was perfectly suited for him. That's what Genesis 1 teaches us. Man may be the pinnacle, but friend... As he looks at creation around him, all that man would see was the goodness of God. And I will close with this. I said to you before, Eretz was the word that ran through this text. Eretz, earth. But as you look at verse 25, just before the creation of man, we're told this. Over uh, there, speaking of the beasts, Every living thing that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. The word earth there is no longer Eretz in the Hebrew. It is Ha-Adma. Ha-Adma. And you can probably detect where we get the word then for Adam. Adam 
is from the ground. He is the only creature that is named by the thing from which he was formed. Literally, Adam, literally man means from the dust. And yet, even though he is named from the dust, impossible to forget that he was from the dust, God set him so high above every creature. We'll come back to that, God willing, uh, next Lord's Day when we take up Genesis 2. But we'll stop there, and we'll come once more before our God to the throne of grace together. Let's stand and pray. Almighty and ever-blessed God, creator of all things, our maker and in Christ our redeemer, Father, we thank you for this word that holds out to us the reality that ours is a good God. Father, you have been so kind to we who are but dust, so merciful to those who are creatures of the earth and earthy. And Lord, we are a people then that are justly guilty for not seeing the world around us as a vibrant display of your goodness. How how often, Father, are we so unthankful that even these things around us set forward the goodness of our God and his continued care for man, though he's a rebellious race. Lord, we ask that as Christians now found in the second Adam, that even the book of nature would preach to us the goodness of our God, would make us more and more thankful. Lord, take up both the book of nature and the book of scripture and cause us to adore thee, gracious God. For we ask all in Jesus' name. Amen.